feel like I could I could have a voice That's for radio. Right. Check, 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 check. Happy summer Friday night, Oklahoma. We've got all your favorite smooth jazz Ooh, hits. We're going to start the hour off with a new track by Kenny G with his sultry soprano saxophone tones put together for you and your lover. So turn down the lights, pour that wine, and let Kenny G take you away. I miss all of our outtakes we had in the early, <laughs> early days of uh, doing the podcast. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's really good to be with you today. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. Hello. It's good to see you as always. We are in person today. We're recording in person uh, in Scott's new home office. It's very exciting. Thank you for inviting me into your home as always. Thanks for coming, man. I'm glad that we uh, we we did a little we did a little switcheroo of the way some of our space was uh, organized here at the house last weekend, and decided to uh, use this space for office space and instead of kind of the little loft space we've been using before. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be nice. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, this is nice. I think uh, so we are looking for office space for Let's Fix This and a few other organizations. So listeners, if you own an office building and you have some space you'd like to donate to some really great civic nonprofits, please let me know. We're looking for, I think, five to seven offices and a conference room space, maybe some storage. That would be ideal Unfortunately, we our nonprofits don't have a large budget. So I've been asking around some folks I know, and we're starting to really kind of shop the idea. I think our goal is maybe around the end of the year. And then, perhaps, Scott, we could record in like a, a proper studio again. That would be amazing. You know, we, uh, we, <clears throat> we, and by we, I mean mostly you, put in a ton of work, uh, our, our studio space, and then we we got to use it uh, what four times, and then uh, COVID happened, something like that. Yeah, well, with Bailey, we used with it, Bailey, we, we, we used, used it for, it for like a year. Was it a two. year? Was, uh-huh. it, was it that long? Yeah, but we'd really just bought new mics and all that. We'd really kind of gotten it set up the way we yeah what we the the way we wanted it after, after we'd moved out of upper room studios. Yeah, that's right. We, that's, we that's went a, from an extra bedroom to a borrowed office, and then back to our own bedrooms again yep. during the pandemic. So um, hopefully, maybe now's the time. Anyway, we should perhaps uh, talk about some Oklahoma politics and government happenings, the haps, as they say. You know, I'll tell you what, I uh, I, I feel like I'm, I was going to say today, I'm I'm getting my second wind uh, or my like fifth wind. I, I'll be honest, you know, I, the last, the last few months, the political world has been a struggle for me you know i i i tend to follow it so closely and have followed it so closely for several years now and um man just you know everything happening here locally all of all of the corruption you know um a really what what for me for a bunch of reasons was a very very disheartening legislative session um honestly even more so than usual um a lot of the national environment has hasn't been great. You know, some of the the you know not just Dobbs, but many of the decisions coming out of the Supreme Court. Um, it's just been very. I my political self has been a little down in the dumps, but uh, I feel that I'm I feel that I'm getting back 
in my groove. Have you have you felt this way at all? I actually have felt the exact same way. I mean, it is difficult working in this field now, and I think just for a lot of Oklahomans, I think a lot of folks feel like not just depressed but demoralized, right? Like that there's like our morale is low in our state when we've seen time and time again, year after year, so many oppressive or uh, misguided laws policies attacks on our communities right like or, or it's even really just, hard even just even just even just policy like those those everything you mentioned is true but even even just as simple as policy that clearly doesn't reflect the will of the populace right i mean we've seen that over and over again right like refusal to expand medicaid and that had to be passed by popular vote right refusal to pass medical marijuana to have it be passed by popular vote Ref- you know refusal um, uh, on the part of the legislature to make investments that people ha- that, that that our state has clearly said that we need and that we want this f- fealty to things like tax cuts and deregulation and you know now an emerging strain of kind of re- re- religiosity mm-hmm. um, religious extremism in some cases it's just really it's really demoralizing. It is. I really, I think it's kind of sucked the life out of Oklahomans in many ways. The, the uh, relentless heat has not helped with that this I mean, year that either. Is a fact. I feel like it got hot quickly and has just remained hot for a long time. Um, I, I do think there is reason for hope and maybe we can start here on something that's not even about Oklahoma, but about the vote in Kansas this week. Um, to essentially protect the right to abortions for Kansans. Um, and it was, you know, everyone thinks of Kansas as being like Oklahoma, like Missouri, as other Plains states, um, and for it to be a state that would, it was, you know, undoubtedly red and would vote uh, to eliminate abortion as soon as they could. But Kansas is, is a bird of a different feather, if you will, not just because of the Jayhawks, but I think they... Politically, they're a little bit different. Well, I mean, they uh, have a Democratic governor. They do. Right? And they have a governor who's a Democrat. Um, their previous governor, Kathleen Sebelius, um, who was served as Secretary yeah. of Health and Human Services in the Obama administration, was also a Democrat. Yeah. They also, they still have what Oklahoma used to have, which is a very active, a very active group in their Republican party within the legislature who were previously Democrats. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like there's like, they still have this kind of like, if you want to call them blue dogs, right? Yep. Like or whatever, like they, they, they got a, they got a legislature that still has a lot of, at the state level, a lot of Joe Manchin types in it that, but except they've just, they've switched parties already. Right. <laughs> so when Manchin hasn't yet. Right. That's interesting. You know, I follow some Kansas folks that are like, let's fix this folks. Uh, there's a group called Loud Light uh, up there that really they do civic engagement with, I think, more with youth. Um, and there's several other groups that were all very involved in doing voter registration and and helping promote turnout, right? Get out the vote or GOTV, as we say in the biz. Um, that got were, v. Yeah, that's got v. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were instrumental, I think, in, in this result. And maybe we should reach out to them and see if we can get them on the pod. That would be fun. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Interesting. So anyway, I think it was a wake-up call. And of course, this week, there is a, now a flurry of news articles in every 
you know, the Washington Post and CNN and everything else about, well, what happened in Kansas is going to change the landscape of the election before now in November. And that remains to be seen. But I think it does highlight something that we know to be true, right? That we have polling in Oklahoma as well that show that that most Oklahomans support uh, support the right to abortion with some restrictions, right? And and the, to have a, a legislature that passed four outright, you know, total bans on abortion in one session is, as you said, very out of step with what Oklahoma people want. And so I think um, seeing the what happened in Kansas to me is a signal that when voters wake up a little bit when the right issue comes along that we will make our our desires known and that can result in in a better more representative sense of governance have you delved into the like uh have have you done a deep dive into the results in kansas i have not had a chance yet no because one one thing that i I'm, I know has been looked at because I've seen I've seen some like you know tweets and headlines alluding to it, but this week has just been busy for me and I haven't had a chance to really get into it yet. Because um, you said something really critical, an issue that arises, right? Well, one crucial difference in the midterms um, and what happened in Kansas on Tuesday in Kansas on the ballot in Kansas was a essentially I don't think they call it a referendum, but they were voting. Whether or not there should, whether or not the provision in the Kansas Constitution that protects the right to an abortion, whether that provision should stand or not, right? That specific issue was on the ballot, and that issue, like that question, is what uh, failed to pass, right? Right. Did that translate to? Did did that translate down the ballot in any way? Did that right like oh, the right. Que- the question you have the the question you have to answer is because that because that question will not be on the ballot at a national level in November. It's just not going to be right? right. So the question then becomes: Do enough people feel strongly enough about that issue that it will motivate them to vote for a party that is different than the party they would normally vote for? That's the question, and that is that is the question that I will be honest. Tuesday's results notwithstanding, I'm skeptical that the answer is yes. Right? No, that's a good question. Like, because in Oklahoma, for example, there's not going to be a specific abortion-related question on the ballot. Right. There will be, well, there will likely be a question about recreational adult use marijuana. Right. Provided that the Secretary of State certifies that they got the signatures. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But I, I, you know, you will often see people say, you know, abortion is on the ballot this year. And they mean that in a way that it means that the elected officials that are going to be, um, that we're, we are going to vote on, right? The people from the governor on down, U.S. Senate, everything else, that they have a say in policymaking and that thus through them, issues on the ballot but it's not directly on the ballot well and when they say it's on the ballot like they're not like i understand the point they're trying to make they're not wrong about that right because of right. you know people who appoint judges people who you know who who make laws people you know secretaries of secretaries of state who run elections like all those sorts of things but yeah they're not they're not wrong but that's a that's a distinction that is that's a distinction that is meaningful 
I think, right? Um, um, yeah, I think I think that I and I'm just curious to see, you know, as as you know, folks, you know, as people like the folks at Five Thirty Eight and other, you know, kind of data minded organizations, I'm sure as they delve into this question and try to build it into their modeling, what if like what effect does that have? Like, what effect does it have when there is a specific abortion related question on the ballot, right? Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I don't know. Well, I'll just ask you, what do you think? So the way that this works in Oklahoma, because a lot of people have said, can Oklahoma, can Oklahoma take a, can, can Oklahoma learn something from Kansas? And the answer is no, because we don't have the protection to abortion is not enshrined in the Oklahoma constitution. So like what happened in Kansas literally can't happen here because right. we don't have that provision in our constitution. But I guess, do you think if someone ran a ballot campaign in Oklahoma to like, let's say, it guarantees the right to an abortion up until, let's say, let's say twenty weeks. Basically, let's say that it enshrines the pre-row landscape in the Oklahoma Constitution, so you can have an abortion. Not pre-row, pre-dobs. Uh, pre-dobs. Excuse me. Um, it enshrines that in the Oklahoma Constitution, so you can have abortion up to twenty weeks. There are, you know. Yes, it, ent- it enshrines that in the Oklahoma Constitution. So it goes back, we go back, I don't know, four or five years, essentially, yeah, yeah. right, to the way <clears throat> the law was, and it enshrines that, puts that into the state, state constitution. constitution. Right. If someone proposed that, do I think that would pass? Do you think it would get enough signatures to get on the ballot? It'll get signatures. And if it was on the ballot, do you think it would pass? That I don't know. I think there would obviously be a huge no campaign against it. Um, I think the electorate in Oklahoma is different enough from the electorate in Kansas that we can't make too many inferences. I agree. Um, and I th- so I think it would be really tough. Um, I don't know. Like I, I haven't seen enough polling in state since the Dobbs decision. I'm hoping, I assume some of the pollsters are going to publish another public result here before too long that might ask that. Um, but they also might ask that question and not want to publish the results, right? I so. mean, right. <laughs> but that's, and, and, and I think you're right. Like, I, I, when I, when I asked that question in my own mind, the answer is yes, I think it would get signatures. Would it pass? I'm not sure, but I don't think it's an automatic no. No, it might honestly like just it depends. It might it, it might be a med, it might be a Medicaid expansion thing. It might be a like yeah super 50, close fifty two forty eight kind of a situation. Yeah, it might be really close, and it would depend a lot on what ballot it's on, right? And then how organized both sides are, and how good the messaging is in Kansas. You know, they had several tangible examples there was the 10 year old and all this kind of stuff that like happened during the campaign that really solidified that messaging and brought it home in a way that some issues don't have and you know i saw you know of course everyone reports like anecdotal stories so i saw a bunch of anecdotes from voters that said you know i'm not for abortion but i don't like this government overreach and the way that they framed it was that it was a government mandate right and people reject that kind of sentiment pretty easily yeah this you know this leads to another thing i was gonna ask i was gonna ask you because you said people lots of people said i'm not for abortion but this is going too far yeah right 
we have not really talked about this. We really, we haven't, we, I, as far as I know, we haven't talked about it, uh, on the show at all. And you and I haven't really had the chance to talk about it, um, in person. We've texted slightly. What are your thoughts on the forward party? Oh yeah. That's interesting. I had a call about this today. Um, so for listeners who don't know the forward party is, um, been an effort. It was kind of, uh, Andrew Yang, who was the candidate democratic candidate for president, um, in 2020 and then ran for the mayor of New York and lost, um, that in the primary there as well. Um, so, and for a while they were just kind of, they were like a third party without being an official party. They're real kind of vague on things. But last week, um, they announced that they were merging with two other organizations. One is called the save America movement. And then one is called the, um, uh, reform America movement, I think. And the Sam and Ram, as we refer to them in the democracy reform world. So they were largely Republicans, uh, in those groups, many, many conservatives who were, uh, really jaded with Trump's his rhetoric, his presidency, and certainly the events of January 6th. And, you know, from the election through that, um, and we're trying to like, appeal to our better angels, right? And to Republicans, better angels as well. So they're all merged now into just the forward party. And from what I hear, there may be a couple of other groups that merge with some big names. And that might be really interesting if that happens, but that's, we'll get to that if it happens. Uh, And so now they are officially trying to form a third party with the goal of getting on the ballot in every state I think by 2024 and potentially running a presidential candidate. Now they're going to try to get a bunch of more down ballot candidates first. So local elections, state elections. Uh, I know the guy that's like the chair of the forward party in Utah. I know there's some forward people in Oklahoma uh, as well. And it's real interesting. I think their platform as it stands right now, it's a little scant on details, right? And this is, they're trying to be a party without taking sides on a lot of issues, especially social issues. They've been pretty vocal about support for structural democratic reforms, so like open primaries and ranked choice voting or approval voting, so some kind of final five system. Because those reforms are absolutely necessary for a third party to make up any ground, right, and to be... Um, to, to get on the ballot and have any success. Uh, and so I think right now I'm, uh, I'm just kind of sitting back and watching. There's been a bit, <laughs> there's been a lot of blowback against Andrew Yang, um, particularly from the left this week. There was a whole, there was a block. Andrew Yang was trending on Twitter, um, led by, um, people on the left who see this effort as his attempt to, enrich himself which is he's not that rich honestly but and, but it's also an attempt like they're afraid that he's going to take votes away from democrats um which is interesting because i think honestly the whole effort might have more republicans behind it than it does democrats and it could be an effort to take republican votes away um i you know this is too early to tell but i think this might be maybe one of the best organized third party efforts since Ross Perot back in 92, right? So 
who who many people would argue cost George W. Bush the election. Yeah. You know, here's 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 my thing. Um and, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So I am not intrinsically opposed to the idea of a third party. Um, I think having more political parties would be would be good in many ways. You know, there's certainly a case to be made for now. Once once you start getting into multiple parties, then you're you're kind of starting to talk about coalition building in the legislature, and things start to look a more parliament look a lot more parliamentary yeah. than what we're used to in the United States. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. I, I don't know. But that's good. Um, I th- I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right about that. Um. My 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 quibble with them is twofold. One, I don't understand why now. Um, you know, because I think that I think there are forces at play in our politics right now, um, and they are not limited to Donald Trump, but he is certainly the most visible face of them. That are potentially existential, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, you may be right that I mean they're going to siphon votes, right? They have to siphon votes unless unless their unless their entire thing is bringing people in to the political process who are not currently engaged, which is absolutely work that needs to be done. And I'm sure they're doing some of that. Maybe they're doing a lot of it, but unless that's their entire plan, they're going to be peeling votes from somewhere, right? By definition, they're they are trying to convince people who are currently voting either Democrat or Republican to vote for them instead. Maybe they're going to peel more from the R's. That's fine. But if they peel more from the Dems, right, and the Democratic nominee, whoever they may be, loses to the Republican nominee, which may be Ron DeSantis or maybe Donald Trump or whoever in 2024, that can have, like, long-term existential consequences to our republic, right? So, So the fact that they're doing it right now kind of pisses me off. The other thing is that their messaging, their messaging around some of this really rubs me the wrong way, which is they are doing what I think rubs me the wrong way about some of our media a lot of the time, which is they're both sidesing political extremism. Now, this is not to say <clears throat> that that these kind of hardline extremist positions don't exist on both sides of the aisle. They do, right? But if you take the hardline far-right position on guns, for example, to be that the Second Amendment guarantees an individual right to own firearms without any restrictions by the government, which is, I think, the most extreme, right? Any gun you want for any reason with no restrictions. That is the most extreme position. Would you agree with that? Sure. Okay. So the antithesis to that, the the most extreme position on the left is no guns for anyone, anywhere, at any time. Right? Sure. Is there any Democrat running for any office at a national level in America who has that as their position? No, no. Whereas what I articulated, I would say, is probably the Republican position for almost every Republican running for federal office. Right. Right? The, so, so the position of most Democrats, which is, yeah, you can have a shotgun and a rifle to go hunting, and if you want a handgun, you should have a license, and you should have to like file with a registry – the Democrat position is actually the middle ground. Right. Right. It, it is right. the compromise position between right. all guns or right. no guns. The mainstream Democratic position is already the middle ground. Right. Right. Same thing with abortion. If you take the far right Republican position as no abortions at all for anyone at any time, regardless of rape, incest, or life of the mother, right? The far left position is anybody can have an abortion anytime they want for any reason. 
Are there Democratic politicians running for office who hold that position? Sure. Are they in the majority? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. The majority position, both of the Democratic Party and the country, by the way, is that abortion should be legal in some cases. Ideally, if we can minimize it, that is best. There need to be exceptions for their like rape, incest, and the life of the mother. And also, most importantly, this is a healthcare decision that should be between a woman and her doctor. Right. Right? Right. That is the compromise position, and it is the position of the Democratic Party, right? So I really reject this framing that, like, we need a third party because nobody's fighting for the middle ground. That's bullshit, right? right? The Democratic Party already is the middle ground of the two extremes. So... Do you, I mean, like, do you see what I'm saying? No, I totally see. And what, right? I'm, what I'm envisioning, <laughs> like, if I was going to make a graphic for this, right, is there's not, like, a abstract middle that exists between all of these things. Yes. So that's, I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, I mean their actual platform for the forward party doesn't stays, really talk about anything. stays away from these kind yes. of social issues. Yeah. Right. Which is, I think, strategic. It is strategic, but the, but the, it, it, but it also is weird because they're talking about all this division. These are the issues that divide us the most, right? Like, and, and, and and I guess I guess it just it just kind of it just kind of pisses me off because it is one hundred percent true. And anybody who listens to the podcast knows I'm a Democrat. You know I'm a liberal. Like this is not like shocking to anybody, right? I'm speaking for myself, not for let's fix this. Um, but it is absolutely true that if you look in the pantheon of American history, both parties have had periods where they are extreme and out of the mainstream. That is without question. However, at this moment in history, one party is the problem. Right. Right? right. Like right well, now, yeah. in 2022, the problem with America and our division is not that both sides have moved radically to the left, right? Right. Or, or radically to the, to extremes. the extremes, yeah. right? It is that one party has. Now, if the only thing you know about Democrats is that you follow them on Twitter – then yes, you would think that the Democratic Party as a whole has moved too far to the left. Um, the fact that Joe Biden is the nominee in 2020 and won the presidency, I think, um, belies some some notion that that the Democratic Party in America has become some like socialist, right? You yeah. know, far left party. Right. If you would like to talk about how far left the Democratic Party is, please talk with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders or Pramila Jayapal or any yeah. of the other members of the Progressive Caucus and all the changes that they would like to see in the Democratic Party's messaging and platform. Yeah. Right? Speaking of which, I saw that two members of the squad won their primaries this week. So... There's still some voters out there who support them. Yeah, which is which is great and which is which is fine. I just feel like I feel like the forward party's messaging is that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's voters represent the Democratic Party writ large, and nationally, that's just not true. Oh, right, right, right. right. Like it's just, it's just not, not on true. every issue, right? Right. Yeah, like, right. and that's and that's fine. Those are her voters, and that's fine that she represents them, and she does a great job. And like, I'm not ripping on AOC. But I'm just saying she doesn't represent the mainstream of the Democratic Party. Yeah. If she did, she'd be Speaker of the House, and she's not. Right. That's fair. Right. I, I, uh, so I was curious about what it would take for a third party to be recognized in Oklahoma. Uh, as listeners may know, we actually have three parties that are officially recognized by our state right now, the Republicans, the Democrats, and the Libertarians. 
Um, you can also register as no party or unaffiliated, which is commonly referred to as independent. That is my current. Um, I affiliate as unaffiliated. And then you can mark other on the form. So I guess if you, I guess that means if you personally identify as Green Party or something else, Reform Party, whatever else is out there, you can pick other. But those groups are not officially recognized by the state. So, Scott, do you know what it takes to become recognized by the state of Oklahoma as an official party? You have to spend $150,000 a year at Swadley's Barbecue for at least three years in a row. <laughs> That's a good answer, but it's wrong. <laughs> but I like your creativity. That, first of all, well, I would say no one should spend that much money there, both for your heart health and because there's better barbecue that exists. Um, no, so it's really not that hard. Scott, I think we could start our own party. Honestly, um, you, so you have to you have to file notice with the Secretary of State, um, or the, excuse me, the Secretary of the State Election Board um, at any time except between March first and November fifteenth of even numbered years. So this may be part of why they're doing it now as timing, right? If they're trying to get on the ballot, they can't do it most of next year. Um, all it takes is that you have to collect signatures from registered voters in the state um, that say they are willing to affiliate with your party and you have to uh, collect at least 3% of the total votes cast in the last general election for governor. Right, so this is, it's the same basis as like signature collection for ballot initiatives. It's all based on turnout in the last gubernatorial election um so on average for oklahoma that's like around a million people right so in the last gubernatorial election for us was in 2018 and turnout was like i don't know 1.2 million 1.4 million something like that um so you need like forty thousand signatures yeah, yeah dude call it let's party this make sure the logo is ou crimson and we're there Let's party this. Done. Uh, just, just. I'm part of the boomer party, right? It's a, let's pod this. You don't have to. You don't have to change the logo. Just still LPT. Oh, I get it. Just, now. Let's, let's party. Let's this. party this. I like it. So yeah. So we just need. So I mean, honestly, turnout this year should be lower. Um, I mean, I'm gonna guess it's like. I'm gonna, my prediction is like 989,000, and it says I'm gonna hold you to that. By the way, petitions may be circulated for a maximum of one year after notice is filed. So basically you file notice and then start collecting signatures. And then as long as you turn them in, not later than March 1st of even numbered years. So we could file notice today on August 5th. I wonder if they would base it on the previous election or after this election passes that we just have to meet that. So we could collect up until, you know, the end of February and then turn them in and potentially have a let's party this candidate on the ballot next November. Which one of us is running? Well, not me. <laughs> Must be you. We're going to run Juno, your dog. Um, we'll, get, we'll ask Bailey. Oh, there we go. She's not here. We'll, just, we'll, <laughs> we'll put her up to it. <laughs> we, we, we just started. This is our first meeting. There's two of us. We have a quorum. We nominate Bailey Perkins. That's right. <laughs> now, now, there is a flip side to this um, because political parties may cease to exist as well. And the law says that any recognized party shall continue to be recognized 
if a candidate for that party for any statewide office receives at least two and a half percent of the total votes cast in either of the preceding two elections. So if a party goes below that, so basically like the libertarians, as an example, have got to run a gubernatorial candidate or some statewide candidate, and at least one of their statewide candidates must get at least two and a half percent in two elections. So that's an eight year period, right? They've, um, they've done that, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so if that happens, if they drop below that, then such a political organization designation shall terminate four years from the date that that party ceases to be recognized or when the political organization regains recognition as a party, whichever is earlier. So I think lots of this has happened before. We've had parties pop up and disappear, but you can kind of bump along that bottom level fairly easily, right? Like in a typical election when, you know, a million people vote, chances are 30,000 of them or 25,000 of them are going to be like, both of these major candidates uh, are gross. I'm voting for whoever the other person is, right? And get on the ballot. Now that, of course, the largest group of new voters is among independent or unaffiliated voters, which complicates this a little bit, but it seems like it's not that hard. I mean, which is which is good, right? It is good. Um, now, I well, I think it's interesting, and I will say this as a as an unaffiliated, as an independent voter, a GDI, a what? A GDI. What's that? A goddamn independent. <laughs> Listen, we're we're proud of who we are. That's a that's a that's a little uh, OU Greek life. Little, oh, okay, yeah. For like non Greek members, yeah. I went to a school that didn't have any. Any Greek stuff. You had to take Greek. It was a course in the uh, theology building. That's all we could do at Southern Nazarene University. A place to begin. Um, anyway, as an independent voter, I you know the introduction of a third party, first of all, is a misnomer. There are other parties. They're not the third party. They're an additional party. Um, there's already the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, several other minor parties that exist. Um, not in every state, though. But there, I think, is still a contention of voters who just don't want to affiliate with a party, right? Yeah. Like, I think people are like, ah. And I blame the two-party Obama. duopoly for that. Obama. I don't blame Obama. <laughs> he was, I'm not on hope and change, but I, I blame the, you know, divide we have right now. And just like this infrastructure that exists among the parties to serve their own purposes. What I would like to see, if I'm being totally honest, is like five substantial parties, like five or so like semi-equally powerful parties. Maybe, you know, some are going to be more than others, but I would like to see a multi-party system with proportional representation. I, so I was, I was literally, as you were saying that, I said... In my head, I was like, the only way that works is if you have proportional representation. You know, um, now if you do that, now for for listeners, proportional representation means that instead of a first past the post uh, system, right? So right now in uh, CD five, for instance, you know, we'll we'll have two candidates running for uh, Oklahoma's fifth congressional seat, um, and whoever gets fifty one fifty percent plus one. Uh, will represent the entire district, right? In a proportional representation system, um, you you would have a representation proportional to 
the number of votes that you get. So if you got, uh, if you had five candidates that were running, um, then then you would you would have those. Andy, help me out here. It gets split up based on on exactly what. Yeah, like the so, number of seats gets for that district gets yeah. split up. So there's so every congressional district might have what ten seats or something. Yeah, it depends and, on whatever the number is. Yeah, yeah. So you set you know every every district gets gets ten seats, and if you know the Republican Party gets fifty uh, percent of the vote, then they get five of them, and then the remaining five seats are divvied up right. among the other four parties, right? Proportionally, right. right. So in a state like Oklahoma, where even if we kept some things the same, we have. You know, we have five congressional seats. If we have proportional representation now, you know, in a given election, um, it ends up being like, you know, essentially like a three to two divide in our votes. So we, if proportional, we should have like three Republican congressmen and two Democratic congressmen. Except most of the, well, so that would be if the entire state of Oklahoma was one district. Right. Right. Um, what would probably happen is that we would still have five congressional districts. Um, oh, but multi-member districts? But multi-member districts, right. right. And I, I could see us, I'd like that idea, but I think like an easier path is to keep the 435 seats in Congress. But every state out, becomes a district. Yes, every state is then, and that is honestly more proportional to, I mean, we can add more people. That's but. interesting. I've never thought of doing it that way. I'd always thought of, oh, well, so you'd have the same number of, you'd have 435 districts, but each of them would have multiple. Oh, multiple. I mean, honestly, if it's up to me, if I had a magic wand to wave, I would, uh, I, you know, just combine the House and Senate. And so Oklahoma would have seven, right? We just, those other two just get allocated everywhere evenly. So 535 altogether. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's probably better ways to do it, but this seems like the simplest way where we don't have to buy any extra desks. We're, we're breaking a little news here, Andy. Are you officially in the abolish the Senate camp? I don't like that word abolish. <laughs> I, I, I said merge on purpose. <laughs> we're just going to merge the two chambers. But you would, so you're, you're saying a unicameral legislature yep. with 535 yep. members. Yes, that is that is proportionally well, representative tec- to the people. There's technically 538 members, right? That's where 538 comes from. Right. Yeah, so there's the 535, and then there's, what, D.C., P.R., uh-huh. and Guam? I think so. Yeah. Do they get a vote, though, or are they just there? I think they're just there. They don't or the, no, they vote in committee. Well, what a stupid I think system. They, I think they vote in committee and not on okay. the floor. I mean, if we want to go all in, Scott, like, I'll just say this. Like, I think, um, you know, I think we should do it with the Senate or merge it with the House, and then we should either cut these other nations loose or make them actual states right like puerto rico if if hawaii you guys here's andy saying dc and puerto rican statehood this is i mean i'm on board i'm on board so there's a group and speaking of dc statehood there's a group there um called uh something about douglas county so like essentially the territory of dc proper used to be like a county and like they gave the land and so there's an effort to like essentially not not seed the land, but like de-seed the land to to make it into that territory again and have it be its own little state, um, which I think is really interesting. So anyway, that's, yeah, I'm fine with D.C. statehood. Um, I'm fine with Puerto Rican statehood and Guam. I mean, if we're going to have Hawaii and Alaska that are, those are like whole other countries. They're way out there. Look at a globe and see how far away Hawaii is. It's a, It's a ways out there. 
how did anybody find that Hawaii exists, right? Like, <laughs> no, but I'm serious. Yeah. Like, you're you are sailing across the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, it is gigantic. Yeah, you don't know where you're going. What are the chances you just run into Hawaii? Yeah, that's a good question. I right, who... it's like a needle in a haystack. Who found Hawaii? Right. Well, and there were already people there. Who was the first? Like, I mean, and how did the native Hawaiians get there? I guess. I mean, these are all. I'll we'll spend my Friday evening on Wikipedia. I think. Questions for another podcast. Do you need to wrap up? I, I do. All right. I do. Well, I've got, I've got. We had some stuff on our list to talk about here locally, and we didn't. But this was fun. It was was fun. Um, I mean, and listeners, you know that the uh, State Board of Education uh, made some bad decisions and really knocked down Tulsa and Mustang schools um, related to House Bill seventeen seventy five. We'll come back to that later. That's an ongoing saga. Um, and of course, later this month, there is a runoff election. Most places in the state have an election. Um, I think maybe everywhere, right? The Democratic for Senate has a has a race. That's statewide. And those are a bunch of Republican races for Senate as well. Um, so August 23rd, don't forget to vote. Do not forget to vote. Primary elections matter too because this will determine who is going to be on the ballot in November. All right. Well, listeners, this officially then brings us to the end of the episode. Scott, thanks for being here. Thanks for thanks for coming. This was this was delightful. I'm feeling I'm feeling energized and like ready to go. Also, for uh, the quick quick little plug, not for me. Um, for for our listeners that are, uh, I mean, if you're listening, you're in, you're interested in politics. Um, for our listeners who also like to read fantastic book to check out uh it's called the man who ran washington the life and times of james a baker the third uh james baker was a secretary of state in the george hw bush administration he was chief of staff for george hw bush as well as ronald reagan also served as secretary of the treasury uh ran multiple winning presidential campaigns um really uh a a towering figure in uh american political life throughout the 80s and 90s and early 2000s um many people would say and and i think actually aaron sorkin has said he is the kind of real life inspiration for leo mcgarry for fans of the west wing um um, just an absolutely uh phenomenal book and and a great read um so if you if you're if you're looking for something to fill your time here in the dog days of summer uh check it out Excellent. That's good. We should put out a summer reading list next we year. We should. I've got a few books that I've purchased and not read yet that should be on that right. list. All right, listeners. Well, thanks for being here with us. Um, please go to our website. Go to letsfixthis.org slash donate or slash volunteer and sign up. We are all in on voter registration between now and October 14th. Our goal is only 1,000 people, which sounds like not many, but if you think about how many how much time we have left, that's a huge lift. We've got events um, this Saturday, next Saturday, more events coming all the time. Please show up, sign up. You can come hang out with me, maybe with Scott too, and uh, register some new voters. Our state desperately needs you. We need more deciders. We do because decisions, decisions are, are made, made by, by those, those who show, show up. up. Have a good week. <laughs>